Well, it's uh, good to be back. We're going to be looking at the Bible together. If you haven't got a Bible with you and would like to borrow one so that you can follow, uh, we have some available. All you have to do is raise a hand and the girls will bring a Bible to you. If you'd like to borrow a Bible, just raise your hand and one will come to you. And then we're going to turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Kind of blow the dust off it. It's still there. Romans 12, and I'll read from the first verse. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, But rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Just to remind you, I'm sure you don't need a reminder, but to remind you of what Paul is saying here, he's set out the gospel that he loves to declare in chapters 1 through to 11. He's started off in chapter 1 saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he enthuses about it, sets it out, argues it through for 11 wonderful chapters. And then in chapter 12, he comes to the therefore. What do we do about this? How does this affect how we live? And he says, well, the only reasonable response is just to hand yourself over totally to God. A God who has done all that for us, surely he deserves that we should give him everything. And in giving ourselves totally to him, that involves our relationships with one another. It's not just an individual matter. When we respond to God, we find that what he wants for us is to be part of a body, to be part of a church where we belong to other people, and those other people belong to us. That's what he's saying. We, we've come into Christ, and we're the body of Christ. Response to God is individual. It's from our hearts, but it doesn't stop there. We come into relationship with one another, and Paul has then be, set out the, the ways in which we contribute into this wonderful thing that God has designed called church. And we've been looking, if you can remember back, before things got somewhat interrupted, if you remember back, we are looking at some of the ways in which we can uh, contribute into this, ways in which we can bless one another. And this week we come to verse 8, where Paul says, if your gift is encouraging, if it's encouraging, let him encourage. A gift of encouragement. It's the same word, incidentally, that he used back in verse 1, where he said, therefore I urge you, brothers, to urge, to encourage. It's actually all the same idea. The word encourage covers a quite a, a spectrum of meaning. Our English word encourage means to, to put courage into someone. And courage itself means putting heart in. So it's, it's, it's a word with a, a range of different meanings. To, to exhort, to urge, to comfort, or to encourage. It means all of that. It's a spectrum. Typically, when people preach about encouragement, they use an illustration. And I will be typical and use that illustration. 
don't know if you're familiar with or have heard about an ancient tapestry called the Bayer Tapestry, which depicts the Norman Conquest, 1066 and all that. And there are various scenes on this, this extensive tapestry of, of that, uh, the Norman Conquest, where Harold was defeated by William the Conqueror. And one of the scenes has got Harold's troops. Harold is behind them with a spear, which he is jabbing them with. And the, the caption in Latin can be translated, Harold comforts his troops. Some comfort, or Harold encourages his troops, jabbing them in the back with his spear. The word encouragement covers a wide range of meanings, from comfort, as we understand it, to prodding to go forward, a range of meanings. We we actually see some of those in the, the story that John referred us to in 1 Kings chapter 19. The story of Elijah. Elijah, the mighty prophet who has had so many adventures of faith. He's lived by faith, totally dependent on God to feed him on a daily basis. And then things come to the climax when he confronts all the heathen prophets of Baal and issues a challenge. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. The prophets of Baal call on their God and of course their God doesn't exist. Nothing happens. And then Elijah stands alone in front of these frantic prophets, calls on God and the fire comes. I mean, it's amazing. And after that great triumph, he's then head down on the mountain top, calling on God for God to send rain on this dry nation and the rain comes. I mean, this, this guy is phenomenal. And then Jezebel, the queen, says, I'm going to kill you. Jezebel being who she is, Those words get to him. He runs for his life. And then we pick the story up. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we see God encourages this prophet. He runs for his life. He sits down under a tree and he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. He says, it's all over. And God comes to him. And he's fallen asleep. And and an angel wakes him up and says, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. God's encouraging him. What he needed at this point was to know he's loved. He's worn out. He just needs to be refreshed. Nothing said, well, apart from get up and eat, but there someone's brought him a meal, and he knows he's loved, goes back to sleep. And it happens again. The angel of the Lord comes back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey's too much for you. You know, this, sometimes we just need to know we're loved. Just need to know that, that God knows the journey is too much for us. We can't cope with this. We just need to know there are people there who will love us, who will prepare a meal for us or whatever. That's where Elijah is. Encouragement. Just through an action, food being given to him. Then the story goes on. Forty days later, Elijah's still on the run. He finds a cave. He goes into it and he's hiding away. And the word of the Lord came to him. And this is a word of encouragement. What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't know the tone. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? The prophet of the Lord, the prophet who said, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, now he's hiding in a cave. What are you doing here? Things have just got on top of him. He should be out bringing the word of the Lord to the people, hiding away. What are you doing here? It's a rebuke, but it's a word of exhortation. Harold comforting his troops. God saying, come on, Elijah. Very similar to what we've been looking at recently, the story of Jonah. Jonah, the prophet, runs away. God's concept of what Jonah should be doing doesn't quite coincide with Jonah's ideas about his ministry. He runs. He's asleep in the, the, in, in the boat. The boat's in the storm. The, the heathen sailors are calling on their guard and, and they come, they wake Jonah up and they ask him a very embarrassing question. Well, they ask him a number of questions, but there's one question he chooses not to answer. 
And the question is, what do you do for a living, Jonah? Doesn't answer that question. Says where he comes from. Doesn't answer. How could he say, I'm a prophet of the Lord? It's asleep in the storm. Not bringing the word of God. What are you doing here, Jonah? What are you doing here? Sometimes the word of encouragement provokes. As Paul says to the Galatians, you were running well. What hindered you? What stopped you? Sometimes we just need to know we're loved. Sometimes we need to be provoked to move on. Comfort, exhortation, encouragement, it's all part of this word. It's the name that Jesus gave to the Holy Spirit. He called him in John chapter 14, verse 16. It's translated in the NIV, the counselor. The word is encourager. The one who comes to exhort, to encourage, to comfort, all of that is part of it. The Spirit is the, the, the encourager. Now, when, when we're encouraged, what happens? Well, Jesus called the Spirit the encourager. He also said the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And what encourages is truth. Giving reasons for pressing on, reasons why we shouldn't just be languishing in the cave. We shouldn't just say, take away my life, I'm just giving up. Why, why don't we give up? Well, it's the truth that puts strength into us, that puts heart into us. It's not, in other words, kind of how people, how the world generally understand encouragement. One of the features of the last couple of weeks with the Olympic Games has been this strange phenomenon of Team GB winning medals. I mean, we always thought the Olympic spirit meant letting other people win. And suddenly, we're winning. And all the commentators have been trying to explain this strange, un-British phenomenon. And what they've said is, actually... We've come to a place where we've got faith in ourselves. Our athletes have, begin, have come to believe it is possible to win. And so there have been training programs with teaching people you can win. And people have got a hold of that and they've gone and done it. That's encouragement. Yeah, but not as the Bible knows it. Another feature, of course, of the last two weeks is those who have won medals have said, well, it's the home crowd. They've been encouraging me to hear those cheers. It has helped. Again, encouragement. You can do it. Go for it. That's not what the Bible means by encouragement. Where the world understands encouragement is you've got to have faith in yourself. You've got to believe you can do it. The Bible, quite frankly, tells us you can't do it. Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything. Paul said, I had reason, if anyone did, to have confidence in the flesh. But I counted it lost. That's a different kind of encouragement that we need. And it's the encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit who brings God to us and brings truth to us. Paul writing to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, to Timothy chapter 4 Verse 2 says to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when men won't put up with sound doctrine. How's Timothy got to encourage people? Well, by preaching the word, by people getting hold of truth, truth that puts strength into them. Or how about this for encouragement? Hebrews chapter 12. What do you make of these words? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. What do you make of that? God punishes He disciplines everyone he loves. Do you find that encouraging or positively frightening? Well, 
see how the writer describes it. Verse 5. He says, you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Hey, have we understood what encouragement is? It's not saying, you can do it, go for it. It's saying, you need truth. And sometimes the truth is hard. Sometimes God needs to actually apply the rod. You think, yes, Lord, please do it because I want to serve you. I want to press on with you. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Hey, it's encouraging to be dealt with by God. It proves he loves you. If he sees fit to take you through a difficult time, hey, it's God. It's my father who loves me. That's good. It's encouraging. Deal with me. Deal with whatever needs to be dealt with. Oh God, I thank you. I'm in your hands. I'm not in the hands of fate. I'm certainly not in the devil's hands. Oh God, you're faithful. The word of encouragement. Now, in the list here in in Romans 12, Paul has Previously, and this was the last thing we looked at, but you can be forgiven for forgetting it. Paul has said, if your gift is teaching, teach. If it's encouraging or exhorting, exhort. What's the difference then between teaching and exhorting? Martin Luther said, the teacher transmits knowledge. The exhorter stimulates. There's a difference. Both are needed, of course. If you have a church where the main ministry is a teaching ministry, you're likely to have people who are well taught, with a lot of depth. But what do they do about it? If you've got a a church where the main ministry is from an exhorter, then they're going to be full of vision, highly motivated, maybe not a lot of depth. And actually, we need both, teaching and exhortation. I remember when I was a teenager, I, I was a bit frustrated in the church where I was, and I used to, I guess I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, but I used to occasionally visit another nearby church just to get some food. And, and the minister there was a teacher, and I loved it. It was, it was great just listening to what he said. But I remember afterwards, people would say, you know, what was it like? And, I, and what I said was, which now looking back, I think remarkably perceptive for a teenager, but I shouldn't blow my own trumpet. But what I said was, what he said was great, but it was like seeing the medicine in a bottle, but it's still in the bottle. It didn't come to me. I could see it was great, but it didn't touch me. He was a teacher. You need an exhorter as well to say, this is the truth, therefore Paul is both. He set out the truth, and then he comes to chapter 12, therefore I exhort you, do something about it. And so either you need a teacher who is also an exhorter, or you need a multiple ministry, where some exhort, some teach, and together uh, you get hold of truth, you get depth, and you do something about it. Both are needed, depth and vision. Now, What Paul is talking about here is being the body of Christ. So obviously, we see this gift in Christ. Well, we see it in God himself in chapter 15 of this letter, chapter 15 and verse 5. Paul says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. The God who gives encouragement. And the previous verse there. Verse 4, through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God is an encourager. That's why he's given us the Bible. All the promises of God that are in here. All the things that God says about himself. Oh, that's so encouraging. The things he says about the future. The things he says about how he loves us, how he's caring for us, how no one can snatch us out of his hand, how he's greater than everyone. Hey, that puts strength in. We see who God is. It encourages. And Jesus then comes to show us what God is like. And uh, in those words I've already referred to in John chapter 15, when he's just told his disciples the shock news that he's going to leave them, 
He then gives them a promise in uh, John chapter 14. John 14, verse 16. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, comforter, encourager, exhorter. He will give you another one to be with you forever. I'm going away, but I'll ask the Father, he'll give you a replacement. In other words, Jesus says, look, I've, I've been with you as the one to exhort you, the one to encourage you, the one to comfort you. I'm leaving and we'll send another one. The Holy Spirit who will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. He'll put truth into you. He's going to help you. Jesus, then the encourager who sends the Spirit to continue that ministry. An example of Jesus encouraging in John chapter 16. John chapter 16 verse 33, we've got, if you like, the bad news and the good news. The bad news, he says, in this world you will have trouble. That's the bad news. The good news, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So that's not normal encouragement. Normal encouragement would be, oh, everything's going to work out okay. It'll be fine. No, Jesus says it won't be fine. It won't all work out okay. In this world, you will have trouble. That's truth, but take heart. That's encouragement. It's putting courage in. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And how does that encourage us? Well, we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. Yeah, we've got a realistic view of things. It's going to be tough but I've got a saviour and he's not going to let go of me. I have overcome the world, the one who is the conqueror. True encouragement. Or Luke, an example of it, Luke 22, a personal example of Jesus encouraging. Again, bad news and good news. Luke 22, verse 31 Talking to his friend Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. The bad news. Hey, you're gonna, you're, you imagine sifting, putting through fine mesh. That's what the devil's gonna try and do to you. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Decidedly unpleasant. But, I've prayed for you. I have prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. Wow. I can think of, I mean, I'm thrilled for anyone who prays for me, quite honestly. But over these past seven months, I've been staggered to hear from various places people who I hugely respect saying, I'm praying for you. Wow. And here's Jesus saying, I've prayed for you. Well, let Satan do his worst then. Satan wants to sift you as we... Hey, but Jesus has prayed for me. What encouragement. You know, the bad news, it's realistic, it's going to be tough, but the good news, a saviour. Wonderful. Another example of an encourager is when you turn into the book of Acts. And a guy who was so renowned for encouragement that he was given it as a nickname. Acts chapter 4 verse 36, Joseph by name, Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Hey, what a guy to have around. He is so renowned for encouraging people. You're just near him and you feel built up. They give him that name, son of encouragement. And you see him doing it later on in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, there's a group that's gathered in Antioch. The leaders in Jerusalem hear about it and what do they do? They sent Barnabas. Acts 11 verse 22. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. And what did he do? He encouraged them. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That's that's who he was. He came and exhorted them. He encouraged them. He put strength into them. But I guess he wasn't a teacher. 
So he went and found Saul. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. You've got an encourager and you've got a teacher, an exhorter and a teacher. Hey, you've got a well-taught, motivated church. And that's what Antioch was. The encourager comes amongst them. We need encouragement, and I guess the reasons are obvious, aren't they? We've got an enemy, the devil, Satan. He's a liar, a slanderer, an accuser, and he's at it continually. The moment anyone becomes a Christian, they attract his attention. And he lies. You're making it all up. It's not true. He accuses. Who do you think you are? You know better than you were before you were saved. You know better than anyone else. Accusing, slandering. Slandering other people to you. Look at them. Slandering God to you. We are up against that continually. And discouragement then is his major weapon. All that he does is aimed at demoralizing, getting your head down. So you think, you, you, you believe, as Elijah did, I know better than anyone else, take away my life. Might as well not be here. Yeah, Elijah has stood on Mount Carmel and seen the fire of God fall, but the devil has a go at him through Jezebel, and he thinks, I'm no good. Elijah, think what happened. No, but it comes through. The accusation comes through. He hears it. The people here, hearing that, the demoralizing lies of Satan that keep you with your head down, thinking you just might as well not be here. The journey's too big for you, too great for you, too tough. And anyway, you think, I'm just a nobody. Who am I? I tell you, it's the devil whispering that to you. You need encouragement. You need this, this ministry that lifts your head and you believe truth. Because lies have got through. And for some people, lies get through so persistently and they're received that they just become a habit. And we hear the truth. But it's like we're, we're living in two worlds where there's what the Bible says and it's all out there and we think about it on a Sunday and we sing songs about it, but we say, it doesn't touch my heart. And it, it's all right for other people but me. We're just, we're just going through the motions. Hey, We need encouragement. Satan's a liar. He aims to demoralize you, if possible, to actually bring you where he got Elijah, into real depression, where there's no point in anything, and nothing's got any meaning anymore. He loves to destroy our faith. So we're just not going to carry on. But what the Bible has called us to, hey, we've got this enemy and we've attracted his attention the moment we become a Christian, but God has called us to holiness. He's called us to faith. He's called us to perseverance. He's called us to prayer. He's called us to mission. And we've got that enemy. He's demoralizing us all the time, saying, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? Faith, I tried it once. Holiness, well, there are so many distractions. And anyway, think about what I did just last week or whatever. Head down. Holiness, not me. Faith, I admire it in other people. I struggle. Perseverance. Mission, I haven't got anything to say to anyone. I wouldn't dare. And anyway, where I live and the people around that I work with, I can't get through to them. Mission, I love to hear about it. It convicts me when I do, but I can't do anything about it. Prayer, my mind wanders. I'm no good at that. And anyway, I find prayer meetings difficult. Can't really get where other people are at. It's better if I'm not there. The devil, all the time, is at you. Lying, slandering, aiming to distract you, 
aiming to disappoint you, aiming to defeat you, totally discourage what's the point. We go through the motions, we turn up on a Sunday, hopefully we go to our core group, but our head is down. And maybe the word of the Lord comes to you this morning, what are you doing here? Not what are you doing in this meeting, but what are you doing in this condition? How did you get like this? It's a rebuke, but such a kind one. Because God is the one who can lift you out of that. And he is our deliverer. He is our encourager. He wants to put heart into people so that actually the truth gets through again. Truth about God. Yeah, we know the worst about ourselves. But God, who is God? Who is our God? I've overcome the world, says our Savior. And he says, you're in my hand. We need encouragement. We need to be fed with truth, truth about God, truth that corrects us, nourishes us, feeds us, lifts us. And that's who God is. Reinstates us as Elijah got reinstated, as Jonah got reinstated. God isn't content to leave us where we are. He wants to, he wants to put heart in again. Heart that comes not from self-esteem, oh, that's rubbish, but esteeming God. Hey, that's who God is. My faith is in him. He has loved me. Not you can do it, because we know we can't. But look at Jesus. It's what the writer to the Hebrews says when he's talking to people who are well and truly distracted and demoralized, therefore turning back. And in Hebrews chapter 1, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He started it. He's the author of it, and he's the perfecter of it. He's not... He's not turned away from what he started. When he saved you, he started a work in you, and he's not got distracted to look elsewhere. He's the perfecter of your faith. He's working on it. He's not going to let go. Fix your eyes on him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Who, can, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. If you've grown weary, if you've lost heart, hey, look at Jesus. Look at him. Not just to admire him, but to say, he's my savior. He's the one who's got me in his hand. And that's where I am right now because the Bible says so. We need to look at Jesus. And then we need to take hold of what Jesus promised. He said, I'm going away, but I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another encourager, the Holy Spirit. Writing to his friends in Ephesus, in Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, rather, chapter 3, Paul says to them that he's praying for them, and he says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that he'll strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And later on, of course, he's going to say, be filled with the spirit. Go on being filled with the spirit. Have you maybe lost your way? You need encouraging. Well, God can strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. How? Be filled with the spirit. God doesn't want us to stay where we are discouraged. He wants to encourage us and we need encouragement, which is why it is one of the gifts that he has put in the body and that's why Paul is talking about it here in Romans 12. If a man's gift is encouraging, let him encourage. Now, as we've seen previously with these gifts, most of them are things that 
At one level, anyone can do, and at another level, they are a definite spiritual gift. And really, it's, it's one of the encouraging, it's one of those things that's, it's very much a kind of one and another thing where we, all of us are called really to encourage one another, not with empty platitudes, but with truth. Not saying, oh, and you can do it, it'll all turn out all right. It might not turn out all right. But with truth. Now, if, if it's for every one of us to encourage one another, then actually we need to just maybe do a bit of a stock check on what do people normally hear from us. And people are around us any length of time. What do they hear? Could we ever earn a nickname like Barnabas, son of encouragement? Or do people just hear discontent, criticisms of the church, just undermining, nothing serious, but always a bit negative? What do people get hold of? Writing to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 4, Paul addresses this matter of what do people hear when they're around us? He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. What an interesting expression. Seasoned with salt. It's got, it's got a bit of an edge to it, but it's grace. It's what they're hearing. It's what they hear from us. When people are around us, are they built up or just slightly dragged down? Well, it's our responsibility to watch what we say. The writer of Proverbs, or the compiler of Proverbs, had compiled a lot of Proverbs about things that we say. Some of them are really delightful, but I'll just quote a couple. Proverbs 25 and verse 11, he says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. What a strange picture. Apples of gold in settings of silver. It's obviously something precious, something attractive. A word aptly spoken. Is that what people hear from us? Just, just one comment, but, oh, that did me good. Or a comment that, oh dear, undermining. Or how about this one, just in that same chapter, in verse uh, 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Being relentlessly cheerful about someone who is sad is not helpful. Going on about your expensive holiday to someone who can't even afford a holiday is not helpful. Going on about the latest thing that you've bought to someone who's in debt is not helpful. We need to just think, what am I saying? It's just going to create misery, resentment, jealousy, criticism, or is it going to build up? Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day. What Someone's cold and you just take their coat from them. What a terrible thing to do. But it's also terrible to sing songs to someone who's got a heavy heart. And we need to think, what are we saying? Does this encourage? Does it build up? We want to encourage one another. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, makes it clear that this is, yes, it, it is a spiritual gift, but it's also something for everyone. He says, therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing he says to the Thessalonians, well, actually, I'm delighted to be able to say to the church here precisely, really, what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Encourage one another, build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. The last seven months for me have been, well, shall we say, an interesting time. One of the features of the last seven months has been the number of people from the church here who have sent cards, written letters, visited, brought a gift. And 
amazing. It's been staggering and so encouraging and appreciated. Some dear people have sent a card or just a message and almost apologized for sending it. But I hope it was okay sending it. Let me say, it was okay. It was so appreciated. It was so helpful. People just maybe writing a letter or just sending a greeting. But encouraging. Let me tell you, it works. When you think, oh, you're just really struggling, and then you get something like that. Or just someone saying, I'm praying for you. Oh, thank you. So I would say to the church here, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. It's that I've been at the receiving end of it, and I am so, so grateful and indebted to you for that. I just want to thank you so many things have come. It's been impossible to remember, to, to pursue everyone. Say, oh, thank you for that card. Thank you for that phone call. Or thank you for that visit. But let me say to everyone, it has been so valuable. Really, not just nice, but encouraging. In putting heart in, which is what we need sometimes. The writers of the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now what's he saying there? I assume it's a hymn, I don't know. Let's not give up, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but, in other words, on the one hand, some are stopping attending meetings, on the other hand, we can encourage one another. In other words, just being there is an encouragement. Or put it the other way, you not being there is a discouragement. I tell you, as leaders, we, in any meeting, we look around. (laughs) We're bound to, I suppose. Look around, see who's here. And when you're not here, it's noticed Not as a black mark against your name. You're free. But it's not encouraging. Your presence is encouraging. But surely the writer is saying more than that. When you're there, we're actually, we're meeting together. And something happens when we're together. And it's that togetherness that actually brings encouragement. Because we say things. We greet one another. It's encouraging. But what do we say? Hopefully seasoned with salt. There's grace in it. We're looking, not being silly, but just because of what's in our heart. Things come out that are helpful. Meeting together is encouraging. And it's, it has impact. We need to recognize that. So encouragement is something that is very much a one another thing. It's something we can do for one another. But it's also, and that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 12, a gift. There are some people for whom, well, it, they're remarkable for it. Barnabas was clearly such a person. He had a gift of encouragement. Whether he was consciously encouraging people or not, maybe it just came out of him. Certainly, I've met with people. In fact, uh, my earliest recognition of someone with that gift was actually a guy who had the name Barnabas, Barney. But any time you were around that guy, whatever you were talking about, you came away feeling built up. You just did it. Whatever the subject matter, he just built you up. What a gift. What a gift to be that sort of person. You've got it in you. So anyone around you just walks tall when they walk away from you. Not because they're pleased to get away from you, you understand. It's just your impact on them. A gift. A spiritual gift. It can be linked with other gifts. It can be linked with the gift of prophecy, of course. It can be linked with teaching. It can be linked with generosity, with any of those other things. But nonetheless, it is a gift of encouragement. There's a a supernatural dimension to it. In terms of timing, in terms of what is said, and in terms of spirit, something happens. It is supernatural. 
Now, Paul assumes, obviously, when he's listing these things, if, if it's encouraging, then let him encourage. He is assuming that there'll be those listening to this who know that they've got that gift. And they'll hear what he's saying and be encouraged to encourage. I have a feeling, however, that in a modern context, people are, I would reckon, unlikely to know that they've got that gift. Maybe I'm misjudging this, but it seems to me that with many of these gifts, people dismiss what God has given them. They discount it as ordinary and then don't reckon they've got a gift. And I think it's entirely likely that people with the gift of encouragement would not realize the effect that they have on other people. And it would be hard for them to come to recognize that, unless, of course, we tell them, which could be an encouraging thing to do. But there are people in the church here who have got that gift, because there'll be people in any church who have got that gift, but I know there are people in the church who have got that gift. And can I say to you, If you don't think you've got the gift of encouragement, well, you could be right. But on the other hand, it could be that you are discounting something that God has given you. Can I just suggest to you that if you're one of the people that I referred to who has been such a blessing to me over the past seven months, could just be that you've got the gift of encouragement. Could just be. Don't dismiss it. Don't discount it. Why? Not so that you think, oh, I'm really something special, but so that you do what it says. If it's encouraging, encourage. If God has given you that gift, use it more and more. Ask God to help you really excel in it. You won't know you're excelling in it because you won't know the impact you're having on other people. But you're asking God, Father, when I come on Sunday, cause me to speak to the people I should speak to. Cause me to greet the people I should. Help me to say things, whether I'm aware of it or not, that are really going to stay with them and help them. There are people here with that gift. And my suspicion is you don't know it. Well, I know I've been at the receiving end of it. Now, doubtless, there'll be some cards that were just a nice thing to do. I tell you, some things really came with such encouragement. Believe that maybe you've got that gift. And ask God to help you to use it effectively in a way that builds up the church. Can I say to those dear people who sent some kind of card or letter or whatever and apologized, I hope it's okay for me to send this. Hey, be encouraged. It was okay. And it really registered. And it could just be you're one of those people discounting the gift that God has given you. Use it. Use it. Increasingly, don't shrink back and think, who am I? Who am I to send encouragement to a lead elder? I tell you, that lead elder needs you, and you were there. It's a gift. And Paul speaks about it and assumes that people are not unaware that they've got that gift. But if you are unaware, just consider maybe you've got it. And if you haven't got it, or you suspect you haven't, well, the Bible says, eagerly desire the best gifts. I would suggest this is a very good gift to have. Because we need encouragement. We've got an enemy who's continually discouraging us, trying to close us down. So that we did run well, but something has hindered us. And now, hey, we started out full of vision. We started out full of faith. We're always at everything. We're pressing on. Now look at us. Hey, We need encouragement. The church needs encouragement. The way is tough. In this world, you'll have trouble, Jesus said. We need encouragement. Ask God for that gift. 
Value it. Look to excel in it. The path isn't easy. You don't need me to tell you that. On a daily basis, there are challenges to our faith. And we all know what it is. To get disappointed, we've prayed for something, we've believed for something, we've done everything that we thought we should do in terms of faith. And somehow God didn't answer. Well, he's allowed not to because he knows best. But for us, disappointment, well, we're not going to stick our neck out again. The path isn't easy. Or maybe there's some issue in your life and you've really wanted to conquer it and you thought you had and you've gone a whole month free of it and then you slipped. Oh, defeat. Is it worth picking yourself up again? The path isn't easy. Or maybe just life has got on top of you. Maybe grief. Maybe just you need you just need to know you're loved. The path isn't easy. True encouragement equips us with truth that strengthens strengthens in our heart. We're strengthened in God. We can encourage ourselves in God and we press on. We need truth that shows us sometimes where we've gone wrong, that punishes and disciplines. We say, yes, Lord, I needed that. Now I'm going to follow you. Hey, think of Jonah. (laughs) He had to endure three days in a fish to get him back where he should be. Yeah, well, and he doubtless came out smelling seriously of fish. He needed that to humble him and get him back. If God sees we need a tough time, we go through it. So I want to learn, but I want to press on. This is not going to defeat me. I'm pressing on. Encouragement. If it's encouraging, then encourage. We need it. Let's seek the best gifts. Let's look to God and say, I want to be that kind of person to everyone I meet, and particularly in the church. To minister grace. I want to understand about apples of gold in the frame of silver. Or was it the other way around? Where it's a, a word aptly spoken. I want that to be me. I want to encourage people. I want to be good to be around because people are just built up in God. And I want encouragement in my heart to pick me up, get me back on the road. Let's pray.